2: I welcome you today to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. For the past three weeks, people from all over this nation have flocked to Asbury University in Kentucky. This is a small, independent Christian college that comes out of the Methodist tradition but have now become independent. These people have come in response to what is being called a historic revival. It all began on February 8th in a worship service, and when the worship was over, the young people were encouraged to remain behind and tarry and wait for God. They did that, and it continued. It is just now being brought to a close By the university president. This awakening. This. uh, Renewal. I applaud. I praise God for it. I don't. I don't praise God. For how they're going about doing it. But. God can use anything that we offer to him in the way of hungering and searching after him. And after watching many hours of this awakening, I can honestly say to you, as I've listened to the singing and the testimonies and, and I've watched, it's clear that the students and the people who have crowded into asbury university have a great hunger for god the first step toward any true revival of god is a hunger must rise up in the heart for more of jesus revivals don't come out of casualness they come out of intense hunger and desire for god that's why I tell you, turn your televisions off. Turn your, turn your entertainment off. Don't drain away the pain of your life that will cause you to hunger after Jesus. And so I praise God for what's happened at Asbury University. I am in total disagreement with the president. He is bringing it to a conclusion. He is ending it. Because, he says, they need to get back to the normal order of college. I'm astonished by that. Because in the day when children are shooting parents in the face, when murders are skyrocketing, when young people are out on the streets drugging, when they're out on the street rioting, we have here young people who are hungry for God. 50,000 plus people have come to this town. It's been overwhelmed. I praise God for that. And I disagree with this president because this is the most crucial time in the history of the world. Jesus is coming again. And had he allowed this to continue, I believe out of the hunger and the honesty of these young people's cry for more of jesus god would have shown up in the power of the holy spirit if he can't come at asbury because the university president says we have to get back we've got exams we've got schooling to do foolishly without judgment without spiritual understanding then God will take it somewhere else and it will spring forth. It is time for God's people to get hungry for Jesus. I want to read for you a portion of a book written by my spiritual father. He's the one who helped and financially underwrote the beginning of this ministry. He gave many thousands of dollars over $100,000 to begin this ministry. His name was David Wilkerson, a godly man, a man I considered my spiritual father. I spent many, many wonderful days in his office, visiting him, praying together, talking together, planning together. He wrote this book. I want to read for you the first part. Now, please... Don't let these words offend you, but rather in wisdom understand what is being said. This is vital. He writes, and this was in 1992 The Church of Jesus Christ today has been experiencing history's worst spiritual drought. Multitudes of starving sheep are crying out to their shepherds for some life-giving food, something that will sustain them in these troubled times. Yet all too often they are not given even a scrap of something spiritual. They leave God's house empty, dissatisfied, and weak. And they have grown weary of trudging back to an empty table Time after time. This is not what God intended for his people, and it grieves him to see it. God has provided bread for the whole world, and the bread he offers is more than mere sustenance. It is food for life in the fullest measure, the abundant life Jesus spoke of. What is this bread of God that we hunger for so desperately? Jesus gave us the answer. He said, The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John 6:33. In other words, Jesus himself is the answer. Like the manna sent to sustain life for the children of Israel in the wilderness, Jesus is the bread of God for us. The gift sent to sustain life for us today and every day. The bread of God, when eaten daily, produces a quality of life that Jesus himself enjoyed. Christ participated in a life that flowed directly from his heavenly Father, a life, he said, that ought also to quicken us. This bread is the very thing that modern Christians lack yet desperately need. And it is my earnest prayer that this book will help meet the spiritual hunger that many are seeking in their lives. The spiritual famine has continued in America for years. We see further a person who strays from Jesus, the source of all life, the more death seeps into him. In the same way churches and ministries also die when they lose touch with that life-giving flow. And many churches today are slowly decaying. That is why so many disillusioned saints cry out to God, yearning for a church that has some life, and yet they can't find it. It's why most young people refer to their churches as dead Many Christians are offended when they are told that God sends such a famine to the true word of God. And granted, there is much vigorous preaching and teaching today that is called revelation. Bibles are more visible than ever. Multitudes flock to hear their favorite preachers and teachers. Some even say this period of Christian history is a day of revival, a glorious time of gospel light. And new truth. Yet, if it were being offered truly to God's people, it's not the bread of God from heaven. It's not spiritual food that's being offered. And it produces no life. Instead, what's being offered in today's pulpits in America causes terrible spiritual starvation. Starvation abounds in the house of God today. The famine is driving believers from the church to find something that will satisfy their inner needs. And now churches are being overrun with adultery and divorce. Music that is not Christian. Unbiblical psychology. New Age Gospels. Many Christian young people are in turn going to drugs and sex to try to find some kind of fulfillment. That is because much of what is heard from the pulpit today is a pleasurable Pablum Baby food. The sermons are not merely they're not merely a presentation of the gospel. They don't present the gospel. They're not filled with meat and they're not hard to swallow in fact they're fun the stories are well told the application's easy and practical and nothing said ever offends anyone no one has a problem taking along a non-christian spouse or friend on sunday because they know they won't be embarrassed they won't be confronted with their sin No hot coals from God's altar will burn their conscience. No flaming arrows of conviction from the pulpit will drive them to their knees. No prophetic finger will point straight into their hearts and thunder, thou art the man. And if the hammer does come down against sin, the blow is quickly softened. It's astonishing but true the most convenient and conscious easing place to hide from the flaming eyes of a holy god is inside today's dead churches if preachers serve more as pallbearers than apostles of light instead of guiding starving believers to the abundant life jesus offers They give soft assurance. They try to ease the hunger by saying, everything's okay. You've done everything you need to do. It doesn't matter if you're still sinning. You're okay. Don't bother about feeding on the bread of God by abiding in in his prayer closet or dusting off your Bibles or aligning your hearts with him. Now, some preachers protest that Far from dead, their churches are full of glorious praise and worship to God. Yet not all exuberant, emotion-stirring churches are necessarily full of life. Worship, now I want you to hear this. It's straight up. This is what Pastor David Wilkerson believed and taught. Worship Praise and worship from unclean lips is actually an abomination to God. Praise that flows from hearts full of adultery, lust, or pride is a stench in God's nostrils. Christian banners held high by sin-stained hands are nothing more than arrogant flauntings of religion. He writes, I once heard a minister prophesy that a time is coming soon when church meetings will consist of 90% praise and worship. Yet if this happens, and even if the praise is heartfelt, that leaves only 10% for the remainder, which I assume would include the preaching of God's word. Yet won't we grow spiritually weak if we shout and praise, but we do not eat the bread of God? Does this mean we've reached the place to which the children of Israel came when they complained, our appetite is gone, there's nothing except this manna? Could it possibly be that we are bored with sitting at the precious table of our Lord? We must understand that true praise and worship comes only from thankful hearts, hearts that overflow with the pure life of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John heard a voice crying from the throne of God, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Revelation 19.5 These bondservants were rejoicing and giving glory to God, They had walked as faithful followers who prepared themselves as his bride, and they ate the bread of God faithfully and reverently because they were in awe of its life-giving power. How many Christians today fully understand what takes place when we partake of the bread of God, eating Christ's body, drinking his blood, Christ's pure and all-powerful life force when fully infused into the spiritual man or woman, works to expel and destroy all that is of the flesh and of the devil. Nothing can drive the cancer of sin from us but the flood of divine life. The old adage is true, isn't it? You are what you eat. You see my heart burn over what's going on in the Asbury awakening or happening as I've referred to it. Praise and worship coming from lips of people who are caught in their sin, in homosexuality, in fornication, in pornography and pride, and arrogance. Not from a people who have been crucified with Christ. And so I praise God for the Asbury hunger for Jesus. But I recognize that this movement is going to have to quickly transition into a, a prayer cry before god a repentant cry before god they should stop all the music and focus on prayer and and confrontational holy spirit filled preaching that they would turn from their sin then it's appropriate for praise and worship to flow from their hearts but not 90 percent of the time So I praise God for what's happened at the Asbury University in Kentucky, but I also have heartburn for it because I know they're at that juncture where either they can make the transition and now with the president shutting it down for the, for the foolishness of saying we have to continue the orderly education of our students. No, they'll probably end up losing most of their students who will say, We thought this was a Christian university, and it's evident that it's a secular one with an overlay of what is called Christianity. But if these young people truly get a hold of Jesus, after this president has taken this action, he's going to lose his students. They're going to go somewhere else. I want to take you this week into some very deep water. I know there are some things that are simply not understood in the body of Christ today. John Wesley said, When men and women do not walk in accord with Jesus, it's because they've been taught the wrong theology. They don't understand, or they're in rebellion against the Almighty God. I'm going to take the position that you are hungry for God, you're hungry for Jesus or you would not be listening to this broadcast. This is obviously not a broadcast where the hot arrows of the Holy Spirit don't come and pierce your heart. So I want to take you this week into some very deep water. I think if you grab a hold by faith of what's being taught, it will absolutely set you free. It will be the most joyous thing you've ever heard. Chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, he begins to speak about not falling short of entering into the rest of Jesus. Verse 2, For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. You're going to have to let faith given to you by Jesus rise up in your heart and grab a hold of the truth that I'm going to share with you straight from the scriptures. Verse 6, it still remains that some will enter that rest, those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I want you to understand that Sabbath rest is seven days a week. It is the life of the Christian as we walk in Jesus Christ. And we walk in him, understanding what Jesus did for us at the cross, understanding what he's doing right now in the heavenly realm for us, and understanding that we cease from our own labor and our own work. The word rest in the Greek, as well as in the Hebrew, means to stop. To stop doing our own work. To cease. Now the deeper meaning of the word rest is, how should I say it? To lie down. The deeper meaning is it's the bedroom of God. Out of which we become one with Jesus. Verse 11. This is Hebrews 4.11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, To enter into that rest, you have to realize that God is going to examine your heart very carefully. Nothing is going to be hidden from him. No motives, no feelings, no actions. You are going to be completely uncovered by Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter 5... We find that Jesus, while he was on this earth, offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. I'm giving you a heads up. If you begin to understand what I'm talking about and the glorious result of, by faith, receiving these things, you will end up on your face before god with loud cries and tears as you pray and confess and get right with jesus you will not be on your feet singing sweet songs of glory that's for after you have been cleansed and made whole the entrance into the kingdom of god is not praise and worship entrance into the kingdom of god is understanding what jesus has done for you and then by faith grasping that and beginning then to enter in and allow jesus to cleanse you by his blood it's not it's not by human work but when you finish this you will no longer walk in any known sin you will be washed and made clean You will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Righteousness will flow in your life. And you will have no guilt. You will be conscious of no guilt. You will be utterly washed and made clean. Now verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again, and that's what I'm going to do for you this week. You need milk, not solid food, for anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That's what I want you to be able to do at the end of this week. So he says, let's leave the elementary teachings. Now listen to what he considers to be elementary teachings. One, casting aside all of the Jewish rituals, the Jewish laws. Not laying again a foundation of repentance. I shouldn't have to talk more about repentance. We all know what it is. Acts that lead to death. Of faith in God. Instruction about baptisms. The laying on of hands. The resurrection from the dead. The eternal judgment. What can be more important than all of these subjects? These are vital subjects. There's one that's more important. It's about Jesus. If you can this week grasp this teaching about Jesus and by faith you can incorporate this into your life, you will be able to distinguish between good and evil. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. And in the end, it will be burned. In other words, the man or the woman who goes and listens to the word, sings the songs of praise and worship, but does not produce... Does not allow Jesus to produce righteousness in your life, if it does not lead you into holiness, in the end, because you're a sinning Christian, you will be cast into hell. Now we're told, verse 17, this is Hebrews 6, verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did it by two things, an oath and a promise. Neither one can he break. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. So what I'm going to show you this week and we'll begin in just a moment. It will allow you not to sing and praise and worship outside of the camp of God. It will allow you to enter into the camp of God, and it will allow you to enter into the very holy of holies as you are now accepted by Jesus and by the Father. And you may come with Jesus behind that curtain into the Holy of Holies. And he is your high priest. Now, I want you to hear this. This is chapter 7, verse 25. He, that is Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This Jesus wants to give to you a gift that the modern church has no clue about. The modern church has lied about this. And I want you to walk with me into the new covenant There are those who say that you received imputed righteousness. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees himself. They've lied to you. Nowhere in all of the New Testament is imputed righteousness taught. It is out of the Old Covenant And pastors who teach imputed righteousness are teaching they're teaching old covenant. I want to read for you what the new covenant is. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with her forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Verse 12, and I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, if you go with me, please, to the ninth chapter. I'm going to begin reading to you verse 7. But only the high priest entered the inner room And that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit, it was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all, by his own blood having obtained eternal redemption." For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now, I want you to begin to just get a hold of all of this. The sins of ignorance. I'm told by many pastors today that the sins of ignorance and the deliberate sins that they are all declared righteous before God. The blood of bulls and goats in the Old Covenant caused a man to be declared righteous. Not made righteous. Declared righteous. Now the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and the blood of Jesus Christ is not like the blood of bulls and goats. Listen. The law is only a shadow. This is Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, they would have stopped being offered for the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So it's impossible for the blood of a bull or a goat to take away sins. They can only be declared righteous. But in the new covenant, you're no longer declared righteous. The blood of Jesus Christ is not like the blood of bulls and goats. It now comes with the power to totally cleanse you of sins of ignorance, and sins of intentionality. Whatever the sin is, the blood of Jesus Christ comes and it can totally cleanse and make you holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Because by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is important. You can be made holy. You can be sanctified. You can have everything changed in your life. I talk about it as two rooms. I have the front room from which I operate. And I can choose to sin against God from that front room. Lie, steal, fornicate, watch pornography, be angry, be bitter, be self-centered, lust for the things of the world. That front room has to be cleansed. The blood of Jesus comes and cleanses it. As we confess our sins, we repent of those sins. We turn from them. We change our mind about them. The blood of Jesus comes and cleanses that room. Now, what about the back room? It's dark. I don't know what's in there. I just know I feel guilty. I feel like there's, there's something back there that keeps biting me. Well, the blood of Jesus also cleanses that room and fills it with his glorious light so that my front room and my back room are totally cleansed and renovated and made righteous by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now this is where I have to exercise my faith and say, yes, the blood of Jesus can cleanse a man and set him free and make him righteous. I believe that. I believe that Jesus has the power and is willing and eager to totally cleanse me conscious and unconscious of all sin that's in my life. He has the power His blood is not like the blood of bulls and goats, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 4, because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to take away our sin. Now, we're going to talk about that this week in a couple of ways. You may want to turn to Leviticus 16 and read the whole story of the Day of Atonement. There were two goats. There was the Lord's goat and there was Azazel who was taken out in the wilderness to die. These are both speaking about the cleansing work that Jesus Christ does in the heart of a believer. The conscious and the unconscious. The intentional and the unintentional. I also urge you to go back in the book of Exodus and read carefully the steps that a priest made, as he came to the tabernacle, the altar burn offering, the laver, entering into the holy, the table of showbread on the right, the candelabra on the left, the altar of incense, in front of the tent, in front of the the uh, curtain. And then behind the curtain, the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to walk through that. And I'm going to share with you how it illustrates for us how we come to Jesus. What the steps are in coming into faith and being totally cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And then we're going to go on in chapter 10. And I'm going to show you very specifically in chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12. I'm going to show you exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells us we must do as we journey toward Jesus. And as our faith is given to us and rises up in power to believe that the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from all sin, that you can be made whole. Let's pray. The most glorious news I know, Jesus, is that you are the bread of life. And I am hungry. My heart is hungry for you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for what's happened at this small college, Asbury College in Kentucky. I thank you, Lord, that that young people and older people have come because they're hungry for you, Jesus. I ask, Lord, if you would transition them quickly out of their praise and worship, which is an abomination before you if they're walking in sin, I ask that you would transition them out of that, that you would send forth your Holy Spirit in mighty power and that you would bring them into that place of righteousness. I pray, Lord, that you will send teachers to them who will open for them the way of salvation, not the lies of our modern culture and our easy believism. Lord, I pray that you will open the door for true revival to begin to happen in kentucky and across this nation lord i ask that you would send forth your holy spirit in great power and we will praise you jesus and thank you and honor your name and today i pray for every person who's listened to this broadcast that it will be a message that they will begin to grab a hold of lord i've spoken it in the simplest way i know to address it I ask, Lord, that as we continue this week opening these scriptures and explaining that even the small child could grab a hold of it and know that he has been washed and made clean by your blood, transformed into your likeness, no longer walking in any known rebellion or sin against you, but walking clean by your precious blood. Jesus, I thank you I pray your blessing on every family. I pray for the healing power to go forth from your Holy Spirit, physically, spiritually, mentally. Lord, would you, would you bring people into the glorious revival of your Son, Jesus Christ, that, Lord, men and women would know the difference. Would you give them the courage to grab by faith that they can walk without sin in this wicked world and be made whole? Lord, you're looking for a people who don't have spot or wrinkle without blemish. You're looking for a holy people who will come and stand before you and find your acceptance Lord, I pray today that you will take away our laziness and the wickedness of our hearts as we seek to satisfy ourselves on the on the husks of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, please come and touch our hearts. Clear our minds. Don't let the devil cause us to not understand these things, but cause us to to know and by faith to grab a hold of it that we could walk with you, Jesus. Lord, thank you. I bless your holy name today. And I pray in your name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to National Prayer Chapel, Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray. Please... If the Holy Spirit is prompting you to give, would you do so? We've come to the end of the month. We need to cover the cost of this month's radio. You can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, our address is Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And Mike, thank you. I just saw your offering came in. I I very much appreciate that. Uh, I also invite any of you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find YouTube videos that will be very helpful for you in your walk with Jesus you can also give online nationalprayerchapel.com well we're out of time for today's broadcast i love you i thank you for listening i ask, would you share it with someone and would you subscribe to our channel so that google will put it out even further than they do now god bless you i'll talk to you soon